and welcome to SFI Not So Live with me, Jay. It's February and we're back. It's first podcast of 2023. Uh, we've got some great topics for you and some great guests. So uh, let's not waste any time. I'm going to go straight through and introduce everybody before we go into what the podcast is going to entail. So, Tony, over to you first. Welcome. Good morning. It's morning at the moment. Um, maybe a little introduction for the audience for those that haven't heard from you before. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Morning, everybody. My name's Tony Hall. I'm head of business development here at Saffron. Um, my role is making sure that intermediaries feel amazing and get the service they deserve from us. Short but sharp and sweet. Uh, and then we have Mr. Phil Lawford. Phil, good morning. Good morning, Jay. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Phil Lawford, the National Account Manager for Saffron. I support Tony in looking after our key uh, business relationships with um, all, all things intermediaries. There we go. Thank you, Phil. And our special guest, first special guest of this podcast, Mr. Nick Mendez. Good morning, Nick. How are you doing? Morning, Representing Parkers well. today. Maybe give a little introduction for those that might not know who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So, hi, everyone. So, as, as Jay mentioned, my name's Nick. Um, I work at John Charcoal. Uh, my role split between two parts. So I'm still brokering on the special side of things, so doing the second charges bridging and commercial, as well as doing the PR, so with the national press and media. So a lot of the commentary on the economy and the property market. Very good to have you with us, Nick. And our second special guest of this month, Shakina. Shakina, welcome, representing the media on this occasion. Maybe a little introduction yes, for you hi, as well. Thank you for having me. This, thank you for having me and good morning, everyone. I'm Shakina Tawahena, commercial editor at Mortgage Solutions. I cover the mortgage industry in my reporting and we go out to mortgage trade press. Um, so to the mortgage professionals in the industry, we write for them and about them. And that's the area that I cover. Fantastic. What a what a panel. What a panel for our first one of 2023 and some interesting topics to work through as well. So for the sake of any new listeners, um, wherever you are in the world, we talk about the mortgage and property industry in the UK uh, as it stands now. We are recording on the 27th of January 2023. So some of the things we say, some of the rates we might mention or some of the situations we might mention may have evolved by the time you're listening. So Based on that, oh, one last caveat, we are individuals and we are, these are our individual opinions, not necessarily that of the businesses that we represent. There you go, caveat for you guys, so you can say what you like now. Okay, let's crack on. So our first story, I'm going to the national media first off um, for this one, and I know this is going to create some uh, debate across the panel, so I'm not going to talk a lot during this, but it's regarding the lovely Paul Lewis from Moneybox. Um, uh, wrote in the our newspaper and various other publications have picked it up and there's certainly been a reaction in the broker industry as we'll talk about in a second saying to avoid local brokers which uh, if I just say that I'll keep it at that and I'll go around the room and we'll give your opinions on it because I think it stands against everything we all stand against uh, certainly on this podcast we you know we understand the importance and the relevance of, of local brokers and brokers in general so Tony coming to you first I know you want to say something, so I'm just going to let yeah, you say it. it's Well, look, I think for those who are of a certain age will remember uh, Mr. Gerald Ratner and the, the you know, he, he's had his Gerald Ratner moment. So if you don't remember Ratner, he's the guy that, can, that likened his jewellery to the same value as an M&S prawn sandwich and lost all his businesses virtually overnight. It plummeted because of one silly comment. So I just think it's a misguided uh, comment um, and you can see you know in the in the article there's 
like you know hundreds of brokers lining up to speak to financial reporter on this uh, the one i'm looking at and just explaining their viewpoint so yeah i think it's just disappointing um you know you gotta be careful because you know large brokerages do also provide a great service so he's he's kind of upset both he's upset the, the the smaller ones independent ones in the article but then the back backlash from the independent ones saying that the large high street don't care is also a challenge i think everybody's just got to realize that there is a home and a place for great mortgage advice and it is just go on to as one of the um one of the advisors said just find one near you and look at their rating and go from there and i think you know the, the beauty of the smaller ones is they're now having to look and support those clients that struggle to find the high street, which would necessarily go to the big um, lead lead providing firms or get all the leads. So, yeah, that that's kind of my bit. I've I've calmed down from reading it originally because I just thought it was a bit naughty. But um, there's a home for everybody. You should just you should have just said get good advice, which is funny enough, Jay. What we always say, go and I find. A do you know what was really interesting? We just had a Martin Lewis just months ago giving poor advice, poor mortgage advice, or, or certainly not very educated mortgage advice, yet he's up, looked up to and respected as a, as a financial figure figure point for the media. So, Phil, is this just, you know, is it just an off-the-cuff comment? Or do you just, oh, let's be honest, the mainstream media don't really handle mortgage advice or mortgage commentary very well, do they? Which is probably, Nick, we'll come to you in a second, but probably why Nick's quite good to be putting out to the media because he knows what he's talking about. But, yeah, Phil, so... Yeah, yeah, your opinion on it. What, what? Yeah, how did you react when you read the article? Yeah, um, I think it was probably an ill thought out comment, and, and, and as Tony says, you know, it's a bit. It just sort of exploded across our industry. But to be fair, and trying to be measured and, and balanced, uh, he has sort of sort of retracted it probably slightly clumsily and uh, you know he, he did come back and, and, and sort of said well it's hard to say in 34 words or whatever what you really mean so he, he's you know he has he has sort of climbed down from it um to, to be fair but i think the the great pity is some of the other bits that he was saying were actually quite you know quite good he was making some other good valid points which all that's been forgotten about because he's you know he's guffed off and made a a bit of a silly comment really so um yeah let's just he's been called out in our industry which is right and it's the positives are you know we, we've you know he's gave us a bit of a platform to say actually there's some very good small brokers and there's some very good large brokers and uh the key point is to get good, high-quality mortgage advice. That's that's what's important, and hopefully that message has got across, despite all all what's what's gone on. Nick, yeah, coming to you on this one. Uh, just just a pre-warning for you to be careful what you say when you're with the media, from a PR person to a to a spokesperson. Um, but um, just on that i mean it's it's ill thought out yes but is it not a concern that somebody who fronts moneybox which is a big bbc program has made this level of mistake the bbc are there to represent the audience you know an audience we pay for the bbc to be there to be that kind of independent voice he has got a respected program it is well listened to there's there's a danger here that you know 
consumers that don't understand the, the work the brokers do are going to be completely misled by this, aren't they? Look, I agree. I think, as, as, as Tony and Phil have essentially mentioned it, it was essentially a poor bit of journalism, a lack of understanding of the industry and of, again, the people that are in the industry that give really good advice. Now, when we look at the self-employed market, you know, the people that have got the small businesses or regardless if it's above a cab shop, fundamentally, they're knowledgeable, dedicated, and they're essentially the most experienced in their field. Um, they've built their business after years of trade and essentially gone on out on their own. The other part when we talk, when we talk about self-employed is typically they are ARs of a network, so they still have access to the same products as those that are the large networks and the DAs, so the ones that are directly authorised. Um, there's two parts here which I think is really important and which I sort of wanted to mention was although you've got a large brokerage that's got a bit of history behind it and reputation, fundamentally the ones that are self-employed are the ones that have been in the industry for a longer period of time. The people that go in as employed that work at the large networks, fundamentally they might be new to hold market, they might recently pass their CMAP, likewise they're new to providing advice and they haven't got the overall landscape. So just because you're going direct doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, get, going to get a better level of service than if you went to someone that's small. Now, again, I'm speaking openly here and I'm still saying it's still important to reach out. But fundamentally, I think it's really important that as an individual that works in the industry, you've got to promote and share the voice of all. And I think that's really important and because when you've got people, Jay, as you mentioned, people like Martin Lewis have got, they do a fantastic job at speaking around a number of financial products where, especially in a country where there's an array of different options and people potentially now aren't as clued up potentially as they were previously, but they've got the ability to communicate a message across a range of platforms to, and to a huge audience. Yet when they do talk, people do follow why what they say and essentially a client and potential homeowners can get the wrong advice. So if they don't speak to someone that has professional understanding in terms of their circumstances and to give the advice, you know, they could be yeah. losing out, you know, quite, quite dramatically when it comes, especially in the times of living. So look, in terms of going back to the, to the point of, you know, in terms of the comment, yes, absolutely. It was poor. I think it's very easy to pit the small person against the big person and, and so on. Um, but fundamentally, the self-employed and the small, you know, the smaller businesses have got play an important role um, within within the community. Shkina, I'm going to come over to you. You're in the media. I'm not going to ask you to uh, to to just say too much about Paul himself, but just for an, um, a. A piece of advice that I gave, I've given on quite a lot of these podcasts, and I've always said, uh, as somebody who works with the media, is for those, you know, consumers looking for mortgage advice, go to a mortgage publication targeted consumers, you know, and, and read those publications that are right for you. So, because the mainstream media has this danger of influencing, as, as Nick was just saying, influencing opinion and thought and, and considerations. Um so there is a real there is a real need here for for people to know where to look for this kind of advice and guidance um because you know otherwise they are going to get the wrong decisions so media like yourselves i presume are you know vitally important to to retain yeah, that balance of course and obviously there are a, a channel to get that information out there because mortgage brokers themselves lenders and anyone who is in industry doesn't always have that connection or that ability to get the word out there and give the advice and lead people in the right direction so it will be the journalist where people hang on to their every word to listen to what they say and I think another problem that I saw people raise was that he didn't really explain or go into detail as to why he said that it was sort of just that one blanket statement and that was it he left it at that and so you can't even defend or really agree or disagree or see where he's coming from there's not really anything behind it so there's nothing really to argue against except just to disagree that 
you can't say one way or the other is correct. Um, and also just making, just going for a mortgage is a big decision. And if your local broker is who's accessible to you, not every community is the same. Not everyone lives in a big city. We could go down the high street to a large mortgage broker chain and walk in and find someone. So sometimes it is your local smaller independent broker that you can access. And so to shut that option off might shut off your access to a mortgage potentially or lead you down making a wrong decision or just making a decision that you might regret or maybe wasn't the best so it can cause a lot of issues and is with these journalists they use emotive language which I mean speaking as a journalist myself I know that sometimes emotive language does get attention but sometimes you need to go a bit further behind it explain why and explain the reasons before you just say things because this is a big decision for people it's a big financial decision so you can't make blanket statements with no further meaning behind it or explanation behind it. And I, I have to say, when it comes to my financial advice, I like to sit in front of somebody. I actually do. I do like that thought. It's a personal thing. I know not everyone's the same. But, you know, but then we look at advice, Tony. Let's go. We're going to talk about self-employed a little bit later on the podcast. But you look at advice and what poor advice was given. If you'd listened to the mainstream media, and many people did, during the during the pandemic, taking out, you know, the grants and the bounce back loans, which has now started to really affect people getting their mortgages, they were told to do that. The mainstream media's message was, get these, get the support, it won't hurt you. But as we know, Tony, it's now kicking people in the guts uh, trying to get a, a mortgage being self-employed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's, you know, the media... Look... You guys, you know, we have media on the on the on the screen, so I'm not going to uh, go into my my views. But look, never never let the truth get in the way of a great story. Do you know what I mean? That's that's an eight old adage, and sometimes that truth can be stretched, and it, it sensationalizes issues. It isn't in our trade press, in my personal view, but it is in the mainstream reporting media of the BBC One or ITV. You know, it's all about um, shock and awe, isn't it? And that has led to some fundamentally poor comments being made that's led people to, re as I said, react and have inappropriate outcomes. And we're thinking about um, consumer duty just around the corner and all about quality outcomes. There's quite a bit that the media could do that actually influence a poor outcome. So, um, yeah, I agree. It's go and they, they should just, you know, I don't mind them saying it, but they should just always leave it with go and find a suitable professional. You know, there is so many websites where you can find a professional or go and ask somebody have you used somebody that you trust you know and then google them it's it's yeah. can i can i say something here nick i'm i'm, I'm not going to make your head too big a promise but it's people like yourself ray before you all these people having brokers in the mainstream media needs to improve it needs to build it needs to be stronger the amount of times i read i watch articles i watch articles watch news reports or read articles i'll say it right in the mainstream media that has absolutely no broker representation representation in there at all is an absolute farce as far as i'm concerned and i will keep petitioning i do all the time i'm always offering people to the media they will eventually jump and take it but nick uh, the work you're doing for the broker community thanks because i think you're going to probably help um, a weather line and prevent things like this happening because we need to counter that argument Okay, we're not going to dwell on it too much because it's a bit of a nego, isn't it? So let's let's not dwell on it too much. But thanks, guys. That was a nice one to go to. Uh, if you want to, we were talking about the responses. They were found on the Financial Reporter website. So uh, if you want to Google it, uh, have a look, and you can see the responses from your industry. Staying with Financial Reporter, moving on to a completely different topic, one of our favourites. Let's talk buy to let. 
Um, it's it's a it's a it's a weird topic at the moment. Um, landlords are not quite getting the amount of love that they used to get. It's not the best market for landlords, so that's where we're going to stem to with this conversation rather than just talk about products. But um, isn't because isn't the nicest environment? Nick, I'm going to come to you first. Isn't the nicest environment for landlords at the moment? Which, being a conservative government, we normally quite you know they're very keen on this. Is it normally well supported? They just don't seem to be getting that support. There's a lot of legislation coming out. A lot of things changing. Mm. If I was looking in, I don't think I'd want to be a landlord right now. What do you think? Um, look, landlords are absolutely under facing scrutiny um, in all directions, unfortunately, at this moment in time. Um, in terms of legislation changes, whether that's partially to do with an election in the next year or so and the amount of tenants trying to pick up more votes. Uh, but absolutely, when you've got a conservative government and you think about where they promoted home ownership and um, and entrepreneurship um, in the Thatcher years and, and, and so on, it sort of completely changed. So, look, landlords essentially are facing an array of, uh, array of uh, you know, they've got the ICR limitations with lenders, they've got capital gains tax, EPC potential in 2025, likewise the rental reform bill, and that's not to say, you know, further restrictions in the future. There's no doubt landlords, depending on where you are in terms of location, will be looking at either diversifying their portfolio, looking at commercial, or even switching a lot of their buy to lets to holiday lets depending on the location you know where the legislation's a lot a lot less stricter and fundamentally that's only going to do one thing which is going to push up less means less properties on the market and rents continue to go up so look there's a, there's going to be a fact a number of things and when i was looking at in terms of essentially landlords play an important part when it comes to the social economics of property within the uk especially when there's a growing dynamic there was, i was looking at some of the stats recently and there's government data that highlighted that 65% has increased of those sorry of those that are older 65 and above privately renting has increased by 38 percent likewise those between 35 and 44 increased by 21 percent. so it just shows that the rental market isn't just around first-time buyers and a certain demographic it's, it's growing it's becoming a fabric of who you know the, the communities in which we live in so look fundamentally in terms of the question look yeah absolutely we need to do more to support landlords if we want to continue having the housing that's because not building enough and likewise yes we've seen different schemes and help to buy and got new things like help to build and so on but they don't go far enough um but that's that yeah and and you know unfortunately rents as part of that as we've seen from ricks and so on they continue on the increase regardless of what's happening at this moment in time so no there's definitely more that we should be doing to support landlords um but i do feel that there's probably elements of it of the time of where we are at the moment that pressure is going to unfortunately still continue over the next year or two it's going to make it difficult whether it's coming to remortgage or even looking at purchasing that's for sure um Phil, I'm going to come to you in a minute because um, we're going to talk about house building in a second. I know that's a topic you love as much as I do. Um, but, Shikina, just coming to you quickly um, from a media perspective and, and the sort of stories you're, you're picking up on and the people that are approaching you, uh, is there, you know, the market's quite buoyant still for buy to let, isn't it? And there still seems to be a market out yeah. there. But is there, a, is there a feeling of negativity across, you know, lenders, brokers about where there it's going? There is a feeling of negativity, I guess, from the econ- economists. They're saying that the cost for landlords will exceed their sorry the, yeah the cost will exceed the rental income and things like that and there's always talk about you know exodus of landlords which is something that has been said for a number of years through all the different policies and changes to the sector anyway and we haven't really seen any mass trend of fall off in rental properties but even so there is that conversation happening and I think lenders are trying to support them 
So there have been changes to stress rate calculations, ICR cal- calculations. Rates have come down for all borrowers, including landlords. Um, and there are also some products that are allowing landlords to switch from variable rates to switch rates with no fees. So they are trying to do what they can, but within parameters of what they're able to do. So whether that's enough to entice people to stay in the, in the market or to entice people to keep their portfolios as they are and not change anything, that's yet to be seen. I do think the next year or so will probably tell us what might happen because it will be the higher rates that probably determine whether people decide to make decisions with their portfolio and what they and whether they're in the market at all. So that might be when we start to see people make those big decisions. Um, I'm not sure whether it will be like a massive difference but that might be what we will see in the market but it's quite hard to tell some people might ride it out with the costs and everything dip into their savings or whatever but some people might not be able to and that's just what we have to look out for tony phil i'm coming to you in a minute tony i'm going to come to you about products phil i'm going to come to you about the properties but nick put his hand yeah. up so i'm going to quickly go to the <laughs> opinion of what Skeeter was saying no that's it it's just exactly on the back of that and it's very much a case of look when we talk to landlords, there is an element that they do need to adapt as well. So what you often find is with your portfolio landlords, which have got experience within the field, often they don't dev- leverage up to 75%. They typically, you know, try and go to the 60, you know, around that sort of, because again, they've been in historic times when rates were high and they have sort of faced these sort of issues where what we found is with your smaller landlords, which especially in the last few years where rates have been at all time lows, that maybe have one, one, maybe two properties. Fundamentally, they've essentially tried to buy as many properties with as little deposit as possible. And now when they come out of their fixed rate deal, they're finding it actually they're in a, in a position where it's going to be a bit of a struggle. So, as as Shakina mentioned, you know it's about trying to adapt and maybe make overpayments and look at different ways in terms of trying to borrow less. But fundamentally, it's not just lenders that need to change. Essentially, it's it's, it's a wider scope of landlords as well. I agree. So, Shakina mentioned that you know lenders are doing what they can to support. Um, I've seen certainly quite a lot of articles of, of, of across the lender spectrum. Tell us a little about, bit about what you've seen and, and what can be done to help those landlords that are, you know, sitting on that that, that borderline. Yeah, look, uh, the, the biggest thing is the is the ICR is actually having the rental yield that pays for the stress related calculation, um, and that's where the biggest problem is because anything over five and a half percent on a, on depending on the lender's ICR calc and a majority will be in the 140 potentially 155 mark you just can't get the figures to add up so you can't borrow enough to take out the loan that you want um, so we're in a bit of a fortunate a, a more fortunate position because our calcs at 125 and that's at a pay rate which 547 ours is it, it is working it is kind of helping out um, but what lenders are doing is, I mean, rates are coming down anyway. So I think that challenge is is going to is going to die off a bit because the rates are, are dropping sub five now, seems to be. So I think that's going to ease. Lenders are, and we're trying it, are looking at lower rate, higher fee to try and help landlords overcome um, the ICR barrier. Um, the challenge you've got, though, and you know, I think was it yields in London are like two percent at the moment. So there's no way it's going to hit a calc. So there's only so much lenders can do. Um, I think that's why a lot of, um, certainly a lot of deals that are coming up for Remo are, are product transferring because actually they can't move somewhere else um, and lenders are doing their best to support them. So we're doing what we can, but ultimately, commercially, we have to make money. 
you know, um, we're not a charity, so we've got to do something that's right for us. Um, and but we're, you know, we're we're still big supporters of this market. And look, it's it's like any market; it has its, you know, uh, pluses and minuses. I think you know those with one property or going in into it the first time. I think you've got to think really long and hard about whether you want to do that. But if you're a portfolio landlord that's not too highly geared. I think you're probably going to do all right out of this because there's going to be a lot of properties coming onto the market um, cheaper. Okay. Um, I know people saying, oh, I'm going to put my rent up because I've got to cover it. But actually, is that the right thing to do? I know the article talks about that. Is it better to have a, a tenant that pays slightly less, but it's going to pay you as opposed to one where you're going to hike it up and take the gamble? So, um, I think that's what lenders are doing. One other interesting thing that we were talking about the other day is we're seeing or we're hearing that Scottish landlords are now buying in the UK in the north because it gets over the rate rent freezes they're seeing in Scotland. So that's an interesting dynamic as well. So there's always an opportunity, isn't there? In a in a cloud or in a sunshine, there's always an opportunity. Let's, let's face it, portfolio landlords are clever, clever business people. 100%. They're going to look for opportunities and they'll grab it. And I don't blame them. That is not me dissing them. Go for it. But, <laughs> but again, we mentioned it with Nick. You know, it's always been um, the way of, of conservatives to, to hike up buying houses, you know, look at this and, and, you know, get into business, do everything you can. Phil, we have this conversation. I know you and I have a very strong opinion on this. I'm going to come to you knowing exactly what you're going to say. Um, but it's systemic of a wider housing problem, aren't we? Yes. We're, we're in a housing crisis, let's face it. I mean, I don't use the word crisis often um and i'm not trying to sensationalize like a, a journalist in the mainstream media as we've discussed already but it is a bit of a problem isn't it because we've got people who need a rental market a lot of people who want to get into homes a lot of first-time buyers who can't get into homes we seem to have this like churn how how can we fix this how you know what can we do what what is the issue yeah i think uh, you know the, the, the biggest problem is in, in this country is, is housing stock or, or lack of it you know it's just simple supply and demand is not there just isn't enough, you know, from social housing. Uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's not been there. It's probably not been a priority for successive governments. So it almost needs to be depoliticised and we need a, a long-term 30-year house-building strategy, really, uh, to solve it. Um but they keep changing the damn goalposts. That's like, right. They, they yeah. have targets, they never don't hit them, so they bring the targets down and then don't yeah. hit those. Bring them down further. All, everything's <laughs> thought in four-year, five-year cycles for the next election. That's that's never going to solve the problem, you know, unless you have a big moment like, you know, sort of post, post-war Britain or whatever. You, you're not going to... You, it's not going to change. So some, something big... And brave need needs to happen to fundamentally change it. Otherwise, we're always we're always tinkering with it. Uh, but back back to landlords, you know, whether whatever your views are, um, the private landlord sector is a really really important component of our, of our housing market. So, if you bash landlords too much and beat them up too much, it, 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 it that's not going to help either. Uh, and, and that was probably one of the probably less thought about consequences of of all the you know the uh the least trust uh quasi carting debacle is you know everybody's thought about their own mortgages but yeah what about rental properties because landlords have have got, had to put their uh had to put their rates up as 
as, as well. So, uh, but you know, there are. You know, let I know a lot of lenders are looking at top slicing. That's something we're looking at, which which can help. Uh, and it's not all bad for landlords because of they're still the capital appreciation is still there for them over the long term. Property is still a really good investment in the UK long long term. Uh, it's it's not a bad bet. So it's not it's not all down, but it's uh, it's a bit turbulent at the moment. I was watching a news very quickly. This is a, we'll leave on landlords in a second. But I was watching something yesterday about ghost landlords. You know, did you see the story mm. yesterday? It's in the House of Commons. I'm not sure if it's the House of Commons no, yesterday or today, where a uh, building owner is not the landlord. They basically somebody rents the entire building out, converts it into smaller places sometimes, sometimes more affordable, and rents mm. out. But when you then have an issue like a flood. You don't know who your landlord is. So people are yeah. like, I can't complain. I'm stuck with this flood, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to fix it. And the poor building owner is going, no, I gave this responsibility. It's all a bit of a mess. But it was a really interesting story. But what I found really interested by it is the actual landlords because they're taking these huge buildings going, well, why do you need to flat that big? I can make two flats out of that. And so all of a sudden they were making really affordable first rentals out of these buildings so actually i looked at it and thought all right yeah procedurally it's not right if you've got a leak or a problem with your home you perhaps don't know who to go to but actually those companies that are renting out those buildings from the landlord from the building owner are actually really you know quite ingenious and quite clever about what they're doing and they're not creating hellholes but obviously there have been problems otherwise the story would have been out but yeah interesting one to watch so yeah if you ever see that that's in i think it's in the house of commons today if i'm right okay. so it should be in the house of commons today so I'll look out for the story and i'll share it on my social anyway we'll leave that and let's go on to something that i'm becoming more and more passionate about now i'm self-employed don't have to worry about a mortgage as everyone knows and hates me for i'm not going to repeat it but i'm never moving house by the way you know these people that are stuck in houses yeah that's one of them. that's me never going to move out of norfolk now um so self-employed tony this is a lovely subject for us isn't it we love talking about self-employed people but we are picking up on this because it's it's an affordability issue and i heard somebody on the mainstream media, we go back to it, calling it a self-employed affordability crisis, that's that word again, um, and saying, you know, it's not it's not great. And it's not been, but is it as bad as this article's making? This is from Mortgage Solutions, uh, it's from Lana. So, yeah, what is it, in your opinion, what's what's it really looking like for self-employed right now? Well, look, afford- if you read the article and, and you know, MBT, I do I do value their comment. They're really good guys and they've got, you know, this this is coming from tens of millions of search results. So it's statistically quality. Um, but, you know, self-employed is only 65, but the whole market's only 71. So, look, let's let's put the context of 6% differential. It is getting harder for everybody. Funnily enough, things are more expensive now. So lenders are tweaking affordability models to to time with a funny thing called responsible lending and affordable lending to reflect the cost of living so yeah it is going to get a bit harder for the self-employed it's it's never the same as the as the high street we know that there's an inequality there um there always has been i'm sure there always will be but there is also huge opportunities for the self-employed again by going to see an appropriate broker who understands the self-employed market who understands lenders like saffron that take a very balanced view um, as to how we can support you know and we it's it's a real focus area for us and and every time we review our criteria we make changes to support the self-employed so the latest one we made was 
we now allow a self-employed director that owns more than 50% to use share of net profits as well as salary in the income calculation, whereas we never used to. So we try to make self-employed as easy as possible. And obviously we're out there still at 90% loan to value for the self-employed with one year. So we're, we're doing our bit and we're one of, you know, a number of lenders that are out there trying to support this market. So it's not always going to be a yes. As you can see here, 35% of the time we're going to say no, but actually we're saying yes more than we're saying no. And that's a positive. I think that's my kind of view. You just got to again find the right broker to help you. Well, that's cleared up nice. You knew I was going to Nick, didn't you, Nick? <laughs> Coming to you from an industry <laughs> perspective, how is the market looking for the self-employed? You get a lot of um, lot of disappointment out there, or is it actually a little bit more optimistic than perhaps we're thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think, as, as Tony mentioned, fundamentally, it's, it's it's about one finding the right broker that understands your circumstances. Um, it's very easy to go when when we look at towards essentially to slash or bash the self-employed and say it's not going to be possible to get a mortgage when that's completely incorrect. When we look at the report itself, fundamentally, um, there's only a small margin between the two. And as, as Tony mentioned, you know, there's there's lenders are looking at the cost of living. You know, typically when we look at ONS stats, you know, we've seen them go up. Sometimes lenders would maybe update it once a year, whereas probably now it's more closer to either quarterly or six monthly because fundamentally costs have gone up. Yes, they're coming down, but they're still when, when you take into account rates, you need to ensure that it's affordable. Um, when we look at, you know, employed, you know, yes, there's lenders with criteria that will take into account, you know, the employed income, commission, bonus, overtime and so on. But fundamentally, there's still people like Saffron and other lenders out there that will take into limited company salary and dividends or net profits, retained profits before or before or after corporation tax or even if you're sole trader, average of the last two years or the latest year. So fundamentally, when it comes to self-employed, there's an array of different options when it comes to criteria, which a, a broker that understands your circumstances, has got the experience, will be able to establish these areas and what will be most appropriate. So the, the idea that self-employed can't get a mortgage, or if you're, a, or if you're a director with a own, you know, 22 or 25%, that you can't, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's completely wrong, and you know, you've come across this previously, and I think it's very easy to sort of look at one segment and then go, oh, because of six percent difference, they're they're finding it harder. Now, don't get me wrong. Sorry, I'm going to go on a bit on a tangent here, so I <laughs> hold my hands up. But. Um, you know, there were times during the, the pandemic where, yes, absolutely self-employed were targeting, in, in, I, in my personal view, wrongly. So I don't know if we could name and shame lenders. So I'm just going to call it the Anton Deck Bank. Um, so I... I... <laughs> oh, that's so I... straight away. Go on, so... Carry on. <laughs> so I had a client that had a, a large, well-known um, theme park and they said um, that it's a seasonal business. Well, fundamentally, or they were impacted, uh, but fundamentally, as a theme park, they, they're typically open during the you know the summer period. Whereas in, during December time, yes, they're still open, but part, part of the attraction is closed down while they do maintenance. It's, so it's fun. But they, in their view, was very much a case of oh, they're not trading, so we can't give them a mortgage. You know, the, the director. So. It's that sometimes lack of understanding, and don't get me wrong, I appreciate sometimes with self-employed, there's a layer when it comes to underwriting where it takes more time and, you know, about understanding the circumstances and the business, which probably why building societies are more suited to self-employed than your, let's say, your high street lenders, which don't essentially are just looking at the very vanilla and want to get it through. So, look, self-employed, when you speak to the right broker, fundamentally, you can still get a mortgage. You're not restricted by affordability calculus. It's just from essentially finding, understand your circumstances and align you to the right option. 
There we go. Thanks, Nick. Um, Skeena, I don't know how you're going to follow that, but Skeena, <laughs> I'm just going to come to you from the lender perspective, wider lender perspective. Tony has had a chance for his blatant plug of the podcast, which he does so well. Um, but just looking out to other lenders and the commentary you're getting and the conversation you're having with other lenders, there, there's a positivity through them as well. I mean, Tony mentioned the change of Saffron's made, but there's not, they're not the only ones, are they? There are a lot of people out there to support. and Yeah, and of course. It. And I did want to sort of echo what Nick and Tony said, because it is opening up, especially when you compare it to the very recent history of the pandemic where certain borrower types were sort of shut out of the market and that included the self-employed. And then even when things started coming back to normal, there were still a few barriers in terms of how much they can borrow and what kind of records they were looking at. And so things have opened up since then. They're a bit more closer to normal. And no one's ever going to be eligible for 100% of mortgages. Is about going to the right person that can find you a solution. Um, lenders don't seem to be very transparent right now about what their decision is behind which kind of borrowers they are sort of putting more policies on top of. But I think the general understanding is that they're trying their best within what they are able to do and their risk appetite. And I guess the self-employed, which isn't a new trend, would always be seen as a little bit more risky than someone who is fully employed just because of the complex income and the differences in trading here and everything like that. So it seems to be that they are, I mean, to be on the side of the lenders, they are trying their best and we have seen a lot of them easing up on their policies and criteria to try and help the self-employed. Um, but there will always be those frustrations when you probably want to choose a certain lender for a particular rate and then you find out that underwriting or that affordability just doesn't pass through. Um, but by the looks of it it seems like they are trying in a sort of uncertain circumstances but it does seem more favorable now now that things are a bit more back to normal especially compared to the last two or so years thanks Gina. phil just to finish this conversation off from a broker's customer perspective so i'm a i'm a self-employed um i'm not looking for a mortgage so don't come chasing after me anybody um but um, if i'm i'm a i'm a seeking a mortgage self-employed um it's really about phil giving all that information is it as Shakin was just saying the flexibility and Nick as well and Tony is is just providing all the information you need to get the success that you need I think a lot of it is down to understanding what can help that application process and I think the brokers need to really rein in as much information as they possibly can from from their applicants is that all right yeah absolutely I mean a, a good broker as I think Nick and Tony and Shakin has all, all, all said will will won't recommend a mortgage just on rate uh it will be about their circumstances and they'll find a solution tailored to suit their circumstances and i think we say it on every podcast but we've we've done quite well we've, we've not we've not said said the words yet but for the, for the broker's point of view the big advice is to tell the story tell us the circumstances use the notes on our portal uh so you can tell us all those little nuances because of the underwriters, um, you know, underwriters don't, you know, they're not mind readers, so they need to know all the detail. Tony, I had a wave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks. I just, I, I just wanted to come back in on that because the other thing I want to implore brokers to do is know the lender's criteria, okay, because that stops an awful lot of heartache. Um, case this week where the broker put it in, uh, thought it would fit, hadn't checked, and then got upset when we said no. Um, and you know, it was a it's a clear no, and we've never said anywhere in any of our criteria or any sourcing system or any comparison site that we do this particular type of lending. 
So it's I implore them to use use all the sources available or ring us up before putting your client to effort. And that's certainly a big feature of consumer duty. You know, one of the questions is you should not be knowingly getting deals from for customers that you're never going to lend to and brokers shouldn't be putting cases forward that they know the lender's never going to say yes to. So use the stuff available and don't don't just put anything in that you think is going to make the dip say yes because we we're not silly you know we will find it and unfortunately we're going to disappoint you so that's just a plea there really wonderful i think we'll leave self-employed there we do cover self-employed quite a lot if you want a really good self-employed conversation i look back on the uh, i think it was in december yeah, it was december obsessed so why not to life have a look back on apple music or wherever you get your podcasts from have a listen a really good conversation about self-employed not going to dwell any longer. We're going to move to um, our older end of the customers. Um, we've got a lot of stories, actually. I picked on this one for Mortgage Introducer because I like the title because it says Rio Grande at the start. I thought I was quite clever. Um, but it's talking about uh, retirement interest, interest only mortgages on this particular one. But I want to open it up to the wider conversation that the cost of living is causing people to uh, look at extracting some of the money from their some of the equity to survive, um, which is a you know never a nice thing to do. And it has been all across the mainstream media. I heard an interview just yesterday talking about the same thing and looking for opportunities. So, Tony Rio is not something we talk about very often, is it? Well, we haven't had a reason to talk about it too often. But it's no, quite I mean, you know, we're, we're active in this market and we have seen it pick up. But I think you know this this article is 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 clever in that it talks about an interest and uh, an uptick for it, but only for a certain segment of the market, the high net worth, all right? And the reason the high net worth it works for, or higher net worth, is Rio has this little thing called death stress on affordability, yeah? And basically, lender will kill somebody instantly and make sure that the loan is then affordable for the remaining person. So for most people in this scenario of cash-strapped, looking for help for cost of living, Rio is still not, sadly, going to be the answer because you have to be able to afford to cover the interest, okay? Now, there's no end date, so you continue to pay that interest until you no longer need the house. Either you sadly pass away or you go into long-term care. But you have to service that interest. And unfortunately, that's what probably stops a large proportion of Rio mortgages ever continuing because... You just, they just can't get over the hurdle of living on one income. So high net worth, I get it. And that's a, a really good angle. You know, this is where you've got this juxtaposition between Rio and later life and then um, equity release. And obviously we've seen equity release hit 5.6 billion last year. And that is because people are borrowing more money to live on, but also borrowing more to support intergenerational lending. So that's a, a big area. So we like Rio. We've got two derivatives of it. Um, the challenge is, is getting someone over that hurdle um, of uh, affordability. Now, for us, actually, if they don't meet that hurdle, then we have our other products, our lending into retirement downsizing or the fact that we don't have any maximum age on our mortgages. It's all based on an ONS um, mortality table. So we can do a, a, a loan for somebody um, based on their their age and, and circumstances which which helps but for a lot of people equity release is the appropriate solution and the challenge now is equity release in rio or the mainstream market is very similar in its approach because you can cover the you can afford you can pay the interest on equity release so it doesn't roll up 
you can do overpayments to keep the capital low and you can stop paying the interest when you want and see roll up whereas you can't do that with a rear so I'm probably boring all our listeners now, but it is having worked in the equity release world as well. I'm and being with one of the first lenders to launch Hodge. I'm kind of passionate about this market. It's a great, it was a great idea, great opportunity. It's sadly flawed in its construct, quite rightly, because it's got to be affordable. I think that's the that's the challenge. Well, I learned something new about products there. Thanks, Tony. And Sorry, the Tony. only other thing is the challenge between equity release and, and rear is you can do a rear at fifty. Um, you can't really do an, we could do an equity release at 50 but the loan to value probably will be so low because of the length of time you're going to live for but hopefully that you can't do it so that it is a real challenge but it's an area that we as Saffron are looking at as a whole market because it's a growing growing market Nick in your experience as a brokerage what is this article reflective of what you're seeing? Are you seeing this increase? And is it high net worth people? I mean, it's certainly saying it is. Um, are you seeing the increase or do you think it's just, you know, it's just more than it was previously? It's not anything to really write home about. Look, no, I think Tony's sort of hit the nail on the head in, in terms of what a Rio is. And essentially, it's a, it's a great product. People are living longer. People, in terms of um, essentially downsizing and they're looking to release money or they're looking and equity release is always that one option. But depending on your age, um, you can't probably release unless you're extremely ill, from my understanding. Yeah. So, um, so if you're not healthy, the more you could raise, basically. So, which is understandable. But I think, you know, fundamentally, we've got to look at the reason the Rio product came into play. And from my understanding, it was very much a case of when we think about the old interest only and endowments and things on those lines that essentially there was a gap whereby people were living in their properties and didn't want to downsize and the, and the endowments didn't cover what it needed to cover so the rio was a great product because it helped fill that void um naturally there are limitations to it so yes on the surviving party it's stressed on and there are certain lenders that do take into account or look at ways in which to overcome that whether it's live more doing insurance policies top-ups and things on those lines um, and the fact that more more people, as we alluded to earlier, when it came to buy sales, are growing demographics of people older now in retirement that are renting, which potentially can look at purchasing their own own place. So yes, Rio's got its its positives to it, but overall, the fact is, you know, with most lenders, they could go up to eighty eight um, at point of application, and likewise, minimum property values are could be a hundred thousand. Um, Whereas if you try to do interest only products, you often need a bit of equity within there. Um, so look, I think the Rio, unfortunately, is only going to service a particular type of client. Fundamentally, that's what it's going to come down to. It's not going to be available to everyone. Um, it's a good product, um, but can it be developed? Absolutely. I think there's ways which, which lenders probably can look at it. And I think it's probably going to be one of the areas, especially where we're looking at people that are living longer and taking more, you know, we're looking at state age going up and, working longer and doing potentially interest only as part of the forbearance in terms of lenders looking at ways of which to make loans more affordable i can see probably 40 years down the line there'll be interest only becoming i hope it won't become a main the, the, the default option and repayment will still be there but i think as time goes on we can see more interest only products becoming in play and then unfortunately if people don't want to sell the property, if they haven't got other ways of repaying that interest, only Rio's being the default option later on in life. So it's a product which I believe will will be around and will continue to develop. Um, but at the moment, unfortunately, there are limitations to it. 
I agree. Um, we won't stick on the Rio uh, for much longer because it's just one product, but just on the cost of living, Shakina, because you can give us a bit more of an insight, hopefully, um, on this too. But I was um, having listened to some of the news reports, and it seems like prices, and Nick, you referenced, you mentioned this earlier, prices start to come down, fuel costs already come down, now looks, as in driving fuel, um, our home energy costs are looking to come down in April. They could actually do it now, but they won't. Um, so, you know, our bills will start going down. So we could be seeing the, the, the end of the peak and maybe a downward spiral in the cost of living crisis. Is there any other good news out there that could mean that these poor people don't have to take out rear mortgage to take the equity out of their home? Are we seeing some positives I mean, coming like through? I say, the cost of things seem to be settling and people are managing with what the price of things are for now. But I'm not sure that it's going to get any better, not to be negative, but I'm not sure it's going to get any better anytime soon. I think it will just level out for now. We have to wait for a little while. But I think what might prevent people from having to take money out of their homes would be that they wouldn't want to borrow more or maybe if they borrow somewhere else they can't borrow more um i think people just want to limit the amount of debt that they have and maybe save it for later if they can push it down to a time when it's a bit less desperate if they're able to um but i don't think i think for now people will be quite settled i'm not sure that the market will keep rising it might level out at what it is now but as for keep rising, I'm not sure. I was actually talking about this in the office yesterday, um, about whether you know it's sustainable the growth in the market because a lot of it was based on need and based on rising house prices. With house prices set to fall, costs coming down, um, the that need might not be there anymore. That sort of will to do make the most out of the prog gains and the house prices might not be there anymore. So it might not to be negative, but some of the steam might be coming out of the market in that sense. Um, but not to say that there'll be a downturn, but just not necessarily carry on in its upward trajectory as it is or has been. Nick, you waved up. Yeah. So uh, it, it, sort of on Rio's, but I guess when we look at, you know, as everything that's been mentioned about property prices, cost of living and so on, one of the things that we've seen at JC, so John Charcoal, is around multi-generational living. Yes. Uh, so I'm not talking about um, children in their 20s and 30s living with parents. It's actually in reverse, whereby parents actually selling their property and then purchasing, using their purchasing power to buy somewhere larger where they could live, um, with, whether it's an annex or whatever, you know, being in a, being a property which suits it. And then that way, when it comes to later on in life, they're, they're essentially passing that wealth down a lot earlier in and, and so on. So that's one area which, you know, we're seeing a, a bigger conversation happening about not so much joint borrower sole proprietor, but very much a case of going, right, if, if parent sales or grandparent sales are moving in bigger places um, to try and overcome everything that we've mentioned. Um, we're seeing more of those conversations happening and it'll be interesting to see what lenders do to sort of assist that potentially in the future as that, you know, as that those trends start to grow. Yeah, a lot of our inquiries were seen on the Rio and the later life space, because we do a later life product as well as a Rio, uh, is is parents wanting to raise, or grandparents want to raise money to help their children or grandparents onto the property ladder. That's another common thread that we've seen a lot more of um, you know, since the start of the year. I just, you know, just wanted to come back on some of that. Um, just literally back on the rear around the stigma around borrowing money later in life. You know, yeah. we're still, thankfully, hopefully, it's my my generation um, now. Uh, mine and Phil's in our in our early fifties about still this desire to clear our debt as soon as possible. But I think 
as time goes on, um, people are going to get used to living with debt forever um, and just transferring it in different ways because there's this real stigma about not wanting to borrow money, but then living in abject um, misery when you've got a huge asset there um, and, and worrying about borrowing money. And I always say to people, you're not borrowing money. The money's already there. It's just in an illiquid, intangible house. You're just moving that to cash. You're not borrowing it. You're just switching its usage. So, And there's a cost for doing that, and that's the interest you pay. So I think there's some education to do with people in that later life space and with Rio as well to get them to truly understand that don't live in misery or in a, le- a lower standard when you don't have to. You know, that's, that's a real industry message that needs to get out now yes it has to be appropriate we don't want to be lending people money for no reason but you know if you need money to supplement or you want to pass on your you know living inheritance now to see the benefit of it then there is just do it that's you know that's my advice that's what i say to my parents anyway just bloody spend it you know enjoy it have you seen the state of inheritance tax? And I got my inheritance through. I was like, actually, should have just mum should just lived a life a little bit longer and, and, and enjoyed herself and partied a bit more because I didn't get any of it. Um, so um, let's move on. That was a really good to- topic, guys. Thank you, guys. Um, to something that is a really important topic and a complete coincidence that somebody on the panel actually influenced this report <laughs> I'm about to talk about. Um, and actually, someone else on the panel, young Phil, is responsible for this and has been taking and paying attention to this. So we're going to be talking about DI, well, as I call it, DEI um, in the mortgage industry. Um, diversity, inclusion, and equity is a very big focus across the entire of society. It's becoming a driving force. Business are paying a lot of attention. ESG is a huge element of investment in business and moving in business. And we've often said this, and not, not on the podcast or on webinars, but talking to each other, that the representation from subgroups of society across the mortgage industry might not be as reflective of what society actually looks like. So, this AMI Viewpoint, which is sponsored by Aldemar and, and um, Virgin Money, uh, is a report on that. It was out in October 2021. Nick, you will do more justice than I will. So do you want to give just a little background into how this report came about before we go into the, the nitty gritty, as it were? Yeah, definitely. So essentially the report was on the back of you know conversations where people had experienced certain incidents within the industry, whether that's at events, networking, and, and so on. And there was a growing concern that essentially the there wasn't anything like being a shone um it's very much hearing through hearsay and and so on so amy did a essentially a report in line with imla um a few a few years ago and the report unfortunately was highlighted a few things which are wrong with our industry to to keep it you know without in, in, in a nutshell whether it's to do with um the events, recruitment, pay, and, and and so on. So essentially following the report is very much a case of, right, how do we move forward now? What do we do from now we've had the report? What can we do to make a change? And essentially that's when a task force was essentially created where we were going to look at three different areas. So you had recruitment, pay, progression, and retention, which was headed up by Tracy Burton at HSBC, um, leadership and culture, and that was leaders on that part was Alison Hewton Colfield from Master Private Finance and myself in terms of experience with the industry. So that was events um, on that side. So essentially, what because fundamentally, you can't just make change, um, you have to bring everyone on board. And if people don't understand that about the unconscious, I don't want to go into too much on, on that side, but I guess the unconscious bias and things on those lines, um, especially the leaders that are 
in the industry um, that own the brokerages and things like that are essentially a certain type of demographic. So unless you bring change the mindset there, fundamentally, you're never going to make um, a significant difference uh, because you need to get everyone on board. So it's very, from my you know perspective, is that when I came into the industry, I've been in the industry for 15 years working across high street lenders, head office and corporate and things along those lines. Um, there's always limitations that I always felt I had to work harder and things on those lines. So it's a, it does mean something to me in terms of being involved and, make, and making a difference. So essentially, the report highlighted all of these things which people, um, regardless of your background, which are, um, are facing and to really make a difference. So the task force were created. We had the, the website working in mortgages, which essentially cover these type of areas um, to really help when it comes to recruitment you know, what to look for, how to not judge and things on those lines and in terms of retention, because the part, you know, especially with our industry, a huge part of our, that give advice are self-employed. And fundamentally, when you look at their journey, they went to self-employed because when they're at the brokerages, they didn't get the same opportunities, which is a shame. And that and it shouldn't be that way. And likewise, when we look at leadership and culture, only the certain type of demographics were given certain opportunities to be in that sort of, uh, I don't want to call it privilege, but essentially they're, you know, to be on that sort of platform. Likewise, in the industry itself, when we talk about events, unfortunately, the culture that we had where it was, you know, at certain times, the drink and things on those lines and essentially behaviours were accepted. It's just not responsible and not right. So, um, yeah, so like I said, the website was created. There's going to be different task forces. There's chapter two on Monday, which you could be, you know, listened to at one o'clock, um, which is head up by, as I said, Tracy and, um, and got Monty as well, you know, huge influences. And there's so many stakeholders that have been a part of it, you know, Kevin Roberts and, and, and so on. And there, it's, it's, it's been great to have a platform where you've had lenders, brokers, self-employed, people, stakeholders within industry coming together on, with, a, with a common objective to make it an inclusive and a fair place. We like that. So just um, that's in the Working in Mortgages website that they can listen to those podcasts, isn't it? So if I just give that away now in case you haven't looked at it, it's workinginmortgages.org.uk. Have a look on there. You can see the previous episodes. I'm on there now. Um, I do see, I, I mean, we just for, I, I realise everyone's hearing us and not seeing us. So we are a little bit di- more diverse on our panel um, than probably the industry represented, which is a good thing. So I was very conscious when we're coming on here that, you know, we are, um, you know, the two people from Saffron are, no offence guys, but white middle-aged men, yeah. um, you know, straight men at that. I do represent the LGBTQ community plus community. Nick, um, what's your heritage? Yeah, so I'm mixed. I'm well, I'm one. So I'm 34, mixed race. Uh, my dad's from Portugal, and my mum's from the Caribbean. Um, I re- recently did a DNA test, and I'm more broader around the world. Naturally, being from the Caribbean, so I've got um, Ghanaian, Chinese, Persian, or you know, Bangladesh, and and so on. So yeah, I've, I've got a quite a range demographic. Um, so yes, yeah, just for the benefit yeah, of the audience. Yeah, from the women's angle. So I'm a female. I am black. So I'm of Ghanaian heritage. Um, also quite young, which isn't as common in the industry. I'm 33 years old. Yeah. Obviously, I'm on, on the other side of it, reporting on the industry rather than working within it. But I'm still sort of engaging with people on an everyday basis. And, you know, standing out a little bit in that sense. 
I'm going to come to you in a little while, Shakina, because I'm actually interested to hear from your industry, because we're going to talk about the mortgage and brokers industry. I think it'd be nice to hear from you and what you think about your industry, because I know I think I know the answer, but we can have a good chat about that. But OK, so let's let's look into the report a little bit. But before we do that, Phil, you have been I, I, I might be wrong here, but have you been challenged within Saffron to, to look yeah, at no, your own? I mean, I, I've been sort of representing Saffron within Imla. Um, so so we, we had that first Imla workshop uh, uh, earlier this month and you know uh, let's, let's, let, let's be honest let, let's let's call it out um, the industry our industry is there's too many people like me and Tony in senior positions there you know white middle-aged men uh, and that's not healthy you know uh, can, can I ask you guys have been here you've been in the industry a long time even more than yeah. Nick, and, Nick has so I'm just going to continue but why Tell me why you think it is. Tell me why, as as in your position and going through thirty yeah. years in the industry, tell me why you think that is. I mean, I'm just intrigued because yeah, no, I, mean, I work in the sector, so I know what other people's opinions are. I'd be interested I think, to hear yours. Yeah, there's been a lot of unconscious and possibly some conscious bias over the years, and and looking back, yeah, I, I've I've been prob, 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 I've got to where I've got. It, it's been easier for me. Than, than, it, than it would have been if I was female um, or of a different sort of her- heritage. Yeah, so I, I probably had it a lot easier uh, b- b- because of my white male privilege. Let, let's be honest. So, but it's not right. I've got, I've got, I've got children. I've got you know three children, two daughters. I don't want them to come into a work environment where they have all the barriers that looking back I, 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 I've seen where it's it, you know women have to work 10 times harder uh, to, to get where they need to to, 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 to get to um, you know it's uh, it, it's not right so I think it's it's important for us to to call it out and um, you know when we spot things, we, we, we've got to be brave enough not to brush it under the carpet and say, this isn't right, it needs to change. So it, it needs to, you know, we need to be part of it uh, and not just, you know, ignoring ignoring it. Tony, I don't know whether you've got a different view. Tony, I'm going to ask you a question, actually, Tony, because this is yeah. really relevant to your role, because you, you're you a recruiter. Um you, I, I, in your team, you have a diverse team within your broker, within your BDM team, and within the, the support team. You have a very obviously. It's going to take time before there's, as, as Phil was saying, it's going to take time for those people to get up to those levels. So the females in your team, those of color, those of different um, sexualities, they are coming through the ranks. So, but do you think you're still behind industry as a whole, business as a whole? Do you think it took a lot while for the the mortgage industry to step up and realise that you were part of the problem. Yeah, I think so. Look, I mean, even you know, I've been obviously in in financial services now 30, 36 years this year, which is frightening. Um, about too long. I just need to bloody leave. Um, sadly, I can't. So then, well, that's, another, that's another that's another podcast on its own. Um, the benefits of prior pension planning. So um, no, I. I've seen incredible improvements. You know, there are far more um, women in, and probably more women than than you know people of different heritage uh, in, in in senior positions now. Um, and there's far more females advising 
you know, it was a really male dominated profession. And, you know, that has really changed. And Phil can probably see this over the last decade. It's gone from a mid sort of 40s to 50s uh, advisory age range to a, a, a group of young 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 males to start with but there's an awful lot of quality young females coming through and there's an awful and what i like the industry is recognizing is is you know awards you know for women there's a women's recognition there's lots of things like that really starting to drive the envelope so it's just a look the, the mortgage industry is slow at most stuff all right let's not just think it's slow at dni it's slow at technology it's slow at uh, upgrading itself so i think but it, it the thing is, everybody is now in those influential positions talking about it, you know, and Phil, Phil's quite right. It's we very recently uh, didn't let something go under the carpet, which and we raised it. It was a bit of abuse against one of my female BDMs and we raised it and action has been taken against that individual by their network which I was extremely, you know, there was no no question. It was dealt with. And I was delighted by that because it shows that we are learning from this. And as Phil said, we've just, just we've got to be part of the solution, not the problem. And that's the key thing for us. Skeena, you deal with, you work with both brokers and lenders and everyone else that uh, influences our sector. What do you think the issues are? For, do you think the sector doesn't feel welcoming? to more diverse um, employees. Do you think there's, I mean, the report, and I, I, I do this all the time, so we look at, you know, inclusivity in images, you know, making sure that, you know, you've got disabled representation, you've got colour representation, you've got, you know, there's so many things. It's, it's, it's ridiculous that we have to put this in place because it's not naturally happening. I know that. But do you, do you think, you know, looking in on the mortgage industry, do you feel like you would be welcomed? Do you, you be welcomed in as a female, as a person, of black, a black person? Do you... Do you feel well? Yeah. Do you feel like you do? There's no resistance to go into the market, or do you think that needs? Um, I don't think there is any resistance. I think the industry has quite a low entry requirement in terms of what you need to become a mortgage broker. For example, um, you don't need necessarily need a university degree, which is what I've heard from a lot of people in the industry. You just need your qualifications and the right sort of attitude and everything like that. But I think when you look at the industry, it doesn't look like one that if you are if you don't sort of match the people who are in it that you could fit in and so there might be that barrier it might come from the people within the industry reacting a certain way to those who are entering or it might be those on the outside who might not feel like they would fit in or feel like they want to join also in a lot of communities um it's not really a job that is considered so it might also be a lack of awareness that this is a career path as well i think there are quite a few things that are going on that might make people feel excluded or exclude themselves from the industry. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people people know what mortgage broker does or the career trajectory of a mortgage broker or even in the lending side or anything like that. I think with the lenders, you think of the banking industry, the finance industry, you think of a certain person. They're actually usually sort of slick, younger white men, like slick suits and shiny shoes and everything like that. And that still doesn't fit certain demographics, women, people of colour, people of different sexualities, disabilities. Um, so I think there are a whole lot of things going on. It's kind of on both sides, but also there is, I guess, when it comes to recruitment, I wouldn't know personally, but from what I've heard anecdotally, when it comes to recruitment, 
just generally people will want to sort of recruit people who look like them match their image match their culture and so that tends to breed a certain person that keeps becoming included and ends up with a certain kind of person excluded because they don't tend to fit that mold um and it just takes unlearning I suppose and having a wider opinion and a wider sort of viewpoint on things and not thinking of things in one in a strict way and just broadening the mind and just looking at things from different angles that you might not have considered before but I think generally the industry is welcoming Mm -hmm. um there might be a few issues here and there but for the most part everyone's been in the industry for a long time they all know each other really well which actually on 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 its own can be hard to break as well but because everyone does interact so much Mm -hmm. and there is that relationship building and networking it can be quite easy in a way to get involved and feel included um but yes yeah, it's, it's a multi-layered thing it's quite hard to come up with one sort of overviewing yeah, yeah, answer very difficult. it's a very difficult sector so, sorry tony you put your no, i was just look i was going to say just back to the whole look i think we can all be honest and say well for those of us who are in the mortgage industry none of us vocationally got out of bed or at school and went i want to do this we all the whole industry you know, hundreds of thousands of people kind of accidentally fell into doing this and then realised it's actually quite nice and, and can be fun. Um, but it all stems back to a topic that I'm very passionate about, and you know this, Jake, so I always bring it up, education in schools. If we actually educated our children as to financial education, then you might get more of them going, I could do that. I could be that old from different ethnicities, from different backgrounds, going, that's all right, I, I, I like that. I'm, You know, I enjoy this kind of work i enjoy this and getting into this industry earlier rather than the mold that we're having to break you know to, to, to pick up shakina's point so that's all i'm just passionate about this lack of educational literacy in the uk i i'm just so you know tony and this you won't know this before and i'm making this known in the podcast because i wanted to go far and wide i'm working on a project with a client at the moment that is lobbying the government on financial education at school as a subcurricular activity so watch this space it was actually an education company i'm working with so it's, i've got good backing so yeah keep an eye keep an eye guys because i am working on that sorry nick you had something to say on that <laughs> yeah no look I, I i think this is the thing when you have this conversation as i say rome wasn't built in a day but the fact is we're having this conversation which we would have never had Yes. three five years ago fundamentally and that that's the fact it's, it's that's the that's the benefit and this is the beauty about the industry which we work in especially in the mortgage industry and the financial industry is you know i'm dyslexic i you know left school i didn't go to university so in terms of my options that were available and likewise when you actually speak to people that like as shakina mentioned you don't need to go to university to come into this industry you just need to have a level, level of dedication understanding and that essentially it's down to provide, be able to provide a customer service and understanding and that's that's just through talking and you know and, and so it's a, it's a great industry for anyone that's sort of leaving college or you know, whatever their circumstances will be, whether they pick up at, whether they leave college or 30 or later on in life, fundamentally, you could come into this industry um, with relative ease. Now, in terms of the industry itself, I, I think, you know, it's really important that how we move forward. So whether that's a case of, look, if you see anything inappropriate that you call it out, as, as Tony mentioned, you know, end of the day, they they stuck by their staff and by having that and seeing the consequences, that individual and that network, that individual fundamentally, regardless of if they can't 
you know, submits business to Saffron, essentially not whole of market, and that has a huge impact. But it's only by doing that and you having consequences that you're standing by your staff and it's having a massive impact. Likewise, you know, I speak to um, a lot of people as part of the role and, you know, essentially going, look, when it comes to recruitment, it's very difficult because we're not in London, we're not in the city areas to recruit a certain, you know, to have, open it up. Uh, or they said because of they've got a, a predominantly um, white male, and then they they don't they're conscious that if they uh, you know employ a woman or someone from the LGBT community, how how do they fit in? And that was part of my the argument is it's not about how they fit in, it's fundamentally about the culture that you need to change within your business, not regardless yes. of you know, and that that's the mindset which we need to start changing and likewise when it comes to the ARs you know as I mentioned I keep going about the self-employed and the the role in which they pay they're part of networks with no HR so when things do happen they haven't got someone to turn to and essentially we need to be made, looking at it and going right if things do happen how we could support everyone um, regardless so that's my you know I guess my plea so to speak <laughs> when because i'm not you know and I, I i appreciate when we talk about diversity when we talk you know some people will switch off and it's not for everyone i, I look, I'm, I'm not going to say we you know everyone's going to follow this 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 path but fundamentally it's it's you know the ones that that have the ability to make a voice or have a voice you know use that can i just make one comment uh, to add to everything everyone said is um some diversities are easy to see here and things like that, but sometimes they're not seen. Um, people don't realise my heritage. A lot of the time my sexuality doesn't come out across, but also I don't drink. So when I go to events, you mentioned events earlier, Nick, when I go to events, I feel like an outcast because I don't drink. There are people that don't drink because of their religion or because of their culture. And I, I felt that for the first time um, and felt pressured to have a drink. And for the first time ever, I thought, now I understand why these non-obvious diversity issues are such a big thing. Because for the first time ever, I looked and went, okay, this person, this person who's shoving drink down my neck didn't know that I was gay, so I was making homophobic comments at the table, and then tried to try to stick um, champagne down my throat when I said I didn't drink. And I don't drink for medical reasons, but that's irrelevant. I could have had any religion, I could have had any reason for that. And this was in this industry. So I just want to give you a, an idea of... of what it feels like when it's not obvious. You know, as we've talked about the colour of skin and all these things. And yes, I suppose some effeminate gay men, you might spot them. I'm one of these people where people go, mm, not quite sure. Um, and that's fine. And they want to come and ask me. I don't get insulted by it at all. You want to come and ask me my sexuality? I'll just tell you. I'm not going to hide it. But I'm not going to run around with the rainbow flag stuck in my ear hole so everybody knows because that's not, I, don't, I don't need to. But it's that unconscious bias. You talked about that, but also the non-visual cues. And I think that's really, really important that people yeah. have, have that in mind. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good point. Really this topic we could talk about forever we've gone over yeah. time because yeah. we are so passionate about it and do you know what it's so nice to talk to so many different people about things like this and i think you know we've done it again these i'm gonna i'm gonna go through the whole list of podcasts on that website because i'm, I'm intrigued here everyone's viewpoint so i just shall do so um let me just go back to that website don't forget to give you it it's workinginmortgages.org.uk have a look really great site have a look at listen to the podcast there on there um, and it's only, I mean, I want to talk about that forever, but we're going to have to end it there. So it's just now a massive thank you. Shakina, Nick, thank you so much. I know that topic was was important to you guys, but also um, for the others as well. You've been a brilliant contribution to the podcast. I hope you'll come back later in the year and join us again. Thank you. Absolutely. Enjoy that. Yeah. Thank you.
Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. And Phil and Tony, thank you as always. Um, just for the sake of the listeners, I don't know where you're listening to this, but uh, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're now on Audible. We're now on Amazon Music. Um, and you can now ask your smart speaker to play SFI Not So Live podcast, and it will play the latest episode, and it'll let you go through the series. I'm a little bit pleased with that. Right, on that note, we're going to let these guys go back to work. It is a Friday after all. Thank you for listening. I well, hope you tune in again. Don't forget to sign up for the channel so you get notifications. And one last plug from me, SFI Live is back finally sfi live is back and we're back on the first so next wednesday if you're listening right now but um which you're not so next wednesday wednesday the first of february we're back and we've got quite a few topics on there as well that we'll be dealing with so uh yeah do join us for that you'll find the links on saffron's social media channel so from me it's a very big thank you for listening and goodbye Bye.